Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are taking a trip back into our sermon archives because this week is Holy Week, so we find ourselves right in the middle of Jesus' journey to the cross. And a couple of years ago, I talked about the most difficult steps that Jesus had to make in his journey to the cross. So I want to go back into the archives and listen to this sermon again to see what we can learn from Jesus' experience as he journeyed to the cross that can help us as we continue to follow God in our lives today. So let's get right into this episode's sermon. And we've been doing that over these last few weeks. We've been retracing Jesus' final steps so that you can figure out, can determine how you can take your next step toward Jesus. Now today we're going to spend our time talking about the hardest steps that Jesus made on his way to the cross. We're talking about the steps that he made after he was arrested. We're talking about the steps that he made after he was put on trial. We're talking about the steps that he made after he was sentenced to death. This morning we're talking about the hardest steps that Jesus had to take and the hardest steps that Jesus took on his way to the cross were the steps he took while he was carrying his cross. The hardest steps that Jesus took on his way to the cross were the steps he took while he was carrying the cross. Now, last week, we spent our time together talking about what Jesus' cross was really like. And we did that because we have a tendency to want to sterilize and sanitize what Jesus' cross was really like. We want to turn the cross into that pristine object that we hang at the top of our buildings so that people know that we're a church. Or we want to turn the cross into a shiny gold or silver pendant that we wear at the bottom of a necklace so that people will know that we're followers of Jesus. But Jesus' cross wasn't pristine. It wasn't shiny. It wasn't sterile. Jesus' cross was rough, was old, was rugged. What Jesus' cross was like was a lot more like this piece of wood here. Now, we brought this beam out last week, and I showed this to you because this is a pretty good representation of what the horizontal cross beam on Jesus' cross would have looked like. And although there's debate amongst scholars, we know for sure that he at least carried this much. Now, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm six foot two, somewhere around 230 pounds, and I'm in pretty decent shape. I just ran the Road City 10K yesterday, and for those of you that don't speak kilometers, that's 6.2 miles, okay? So I'm in decent shape, all right? But when I bend down to pick up this beam, it takes a little bit of work, okay? This is a heavy piece of wood. It's about eight feet long. Jesus' crossbeam could have weighed as much as 100 pounds. It's made out of rough-cut wood, which means that it was chopped down with either a sword or a saw left with the splinters that would dig into his flesh. I'm in decent shape, and it's a struggle for me just to pick this thing up. But Jesus wouldn't have just had to lift up this beam Jesus would have had to pick up this beam and he would have had to drag it or carry it on his shoulders for a third of a mile. A third of a mile, that's five and a half football fields counting the end zones, roughly. From Pilate's palace to the place where he was crucified. The place that we call Golgotha. Can you imagine that? What it would have been like to drag a piece of wood like this third of a mile. 
I can lift this piece of wood up. It takes a little work, I can do it without too big of a problem. But I'm pretty well at 100%. I mean, I'm in decent shape, I got a good night's sleep last night, I had a nice hearty breakfast. But Jesus doesn't have any of those things working in his advantage, working in his favor. Jesus is far from 100% when he has to pick up that piece of wood. Let's go back, let's remember some of the story that's happened that we've already explored, and we'll see just how hard it was for Jesus to carry this cross. Now for Jesus, when he was getting ready to carry the cross, I I came off of a good night's sleep, but Jesus was coming off off of a sleepless night. The night before, he was asked to pick up and carry his cross. He had been celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And the Passover is an event that lasts for hours. They get together, they celebrate well into the night. And then after the party wraps up, after their celebration is over, Jesus takes his disciples and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where they're going to pray. Well, at least Jesus is going to pray. If you remember the story, Jesus goes a little bit further into the garden than his disciples go in. But before he leaves, he says, just stay awake. Stay awake for a few, for, with me for just an hour while I go and pray. But we remember what happens. While Jesus is praying, the disciples are fast asleep. And they're fast asleep because it's the middle of the night. They are exhausted. Their bellies are full from all the good food that they would have been eating at the Passover and the wine that they would have drank along the way. They can't stay awake. But Jesus, Jesus does. And then the crowd, the mob comes in. They arrest Jesus and he's put on trial through the course of the night. All night long, Jesus stands trial. So he's running on zero sleep when he has to pick up his cross. But that's not all. Jesus wasn't just running on zero sleep that night. As part of his standing on trial, Jesus would have been beaten regularly and routinely. Scripture tells us that the soldiers that were put over him, watching him while he was in captivity, were spitting on him, striking him, in the face. But the worst thing that we hear through this entire process before Jesus picks up that crossbeam is that he was scourged. Now, this is the way that scourging would have worked. There would have been a pole that was sitting about waist high that Jesus would have been strapped onto. They would have forced him down to his knees. They would have stripped him of all of his clothing. They would have strapped him to this beam as tightly as they could to make sure that he didn't squirm or move at all. They wanted him to be perfectly still for the beating they were about to give him. Then the, the executioner, the man who was controlling the whip, would bear down with the first lash. But here's the thing. It wasn't about how hard he struck with that initial whip. The true art of this form of punishment was about how, how well, how hard he pulled the whip back. Because this whip would have been would have had tails at the end of it, and they would have had different pieces of bone or stone, glass or metal that were tied into the end of it to tear at the victim's flesh along the way. Some accounts tell us that the greatest pleasure the executioner could give to the crowd while they were scourging one of these victims was to expose the person's internal organs so that the people could see the anatomy, human anatomy before their eyes. That's what Jesus endures before he carries the cross. This is what Jesus suffers through before he has to pick up this eight-foot-long, hundred-pound piece of wood 
and drag it a third of a mile to the place where he is going to be killed. Are you starting to see why I say that the hardest steps that Jesus had to take on his way to the cross were the steps that Jesus took while he was carrying his cross? Is there any wonder why that three out of our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their biographies of Jesus, they tell us that Jesus was unable to carry this cross? In Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, in Matthew's biography, he says, As they were going out, the guards found Simon, a man from Cyrene, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. In Mark 15, 21, Mark tells us that Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus' father, was coming in from the countryside, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Luke 23, 26 tells us that as they led Jesus away, they grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. They put the cross on his back and they made him carry it behind Jesus. Tradition tells us that Jesus fell three times before the guards forced someone else to carry his cross. But here's the thing. I think that's more than just the weight of the cross makes these Jesus' most difficult steps. I think there's more than just the exhaustion and the physical abuse that Jesus experienced the night before that made the steps that he took while he was carrying his cross the hardest steps of his life. Let me walk you back through a few other events that happened the night before that give us a better understanding of why the hardest steps that Jesus took on his way to the cross were the steps he took while he was carrying the cross. If you have your Bible, whether it's a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, go ahead and find Mark. Mark chapter 14. And I've already told you that Mark is one of the four Gospels. We call these Gospels because the word Gospel means good news. And these Gospels, they tell us the good news of Jesus Christ. So this is Mark's biography of Jesus. And in Mark 14, we get events, some of the events that happened the night before. Jesus is forced to carry his cross. So Mark 14, we'll start reading in verse 27. This is what he writes. Jesus said to them, his disciples, those that he is sharing the Passover meal with, you will all falter in your faithfulness to me. It is written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep will go off in all directions. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Peter said to him, even if everyone else stumbles, Lord, I won't. But Jesus said to him, I assure you that on this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But Peter insisted, even if I must die alongside you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. So let me just kind of recap what's happened here. Jesus has been sharing the Passover meal. This is after Judas has already left the assembly to go and betray him. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says... I know what's coming tonight. All of you are going to abandon me. All of you are going to desert me. But then Peter steps up. Peter says, no, no, Lord, even if everybody else turns away from you, I will never deny you. Even if it costs me my life, I will not deny you. So not only does Jesus have to sit before his disciples while they're sharing this meal together and say, tonight you guys are going to betray me, he also has to correct them when they falsely assume that what Jesus is telling them isn't the truth. Let's keep going. Let's keep going and pick back up 
a little bit later on in the story. We'll pick back up in verse 32. That's what it, it says. Jesus and his disciples, they came to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to them, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to feel despair and was anxious. He said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert. Then he went a short distance farther, and he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, he might be spared the time of suffering. He said, Abba, Father, for all things are possible. For you, all things are possible. So take this cup of suffering away from me. But not what I want, but what you want. Now, listen to this part. Jesus came, and he found him sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you stay awake for just an hour? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. Now, I want you to hear what just happened here. Jesus goes out to the garden. He's going to pray, and before he goes off on his own to pray, he is feeling full of anxiety and despair. He tells his disciples, I'm very sad, I feel as if I'm dying. Can you pray for me? I feel like I'm dying, can you just pray for me? And what do they do? They fall asleep. Couldn't you stay awake for just an hour? Couldn't you stay awake for just an hour for me? Keep looking a little bit further in the story. We're going to skip down to verse 47 and see what happens here. When the crowds, when the mob come to take Jesus away. Mark writes, suddenly, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came with a mob that were carrying their swords and clubs. They'd been sent by the chief priests, the legal experts, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a sign, arrest the man, and take him away under guard. And as soon as they got there, Jesus, Judas said to Jesus, Rabbi, then he kissed him. Then they came and they grabbed him, and Jesus arrested him. One of the bystanders there drew a sword and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Jesus responded, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me like an outlaw? Day after day I was with you teaching in your temples, but you didn't arrest me there, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And all his disciples left him and ran away. One young man, a disciple, was wearing nothing but a linen cloth when they grabbed him, but he left the linen cloth behind and he ran away naked. What Jesus had just told them a few verses earlier was absolutely the truth. They all ran away. When the going got tough, the disciples got going. One of them was in such a hurry to get away that he ran away naked. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus that night. So when Jesus is being led away, that day. When Jesus is carrying this crossbeam with him from Pilate's palace to the place where he'll be killed, the place called Golgotha, Jesus isn't just carrying his cross. Jesus is completely alone. Jesus isn't just carrying his cross that day. Jesus is completely alone. He told his disciples they would abandon him, and they did. 
He told them, I feel like I'm sad, I feel like I'm about to die, pray for me. And they couldn't. And when the going got tough, the disciples went running away. When he was dragging this eight-foot-long, hundred-pound piece of rough-cut wood, Jesus didn't see a friendly face standing out in the crowd. Jesus didn't see a single person that he had spent the last three years of his life pouring himself into, leading them, teaching them, helping them become his disciples. Jesus didn't see Peter or Andrew or James or John or any of his other disciples any place else in the crowd. Jesus was isolated, Jesus was abandoned, Jesus was alone. At his darkest hour, Jesus was isolated, he was abandoned, and he was completely alone. But here's the thing. God promises us multiple times in Scripture that we will never be alone. God promises multiple times in Scripture that we will never be alone. Be alone. Like in Joshua chapter, 5, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, when the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land that they've been waiting to enter into for more than 400 years, God tells them, I will be with you. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Or then again in Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, we're told that even when we walk through the darkest valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, that God will be with us. So here Jesus is, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he feels abandoned and alone. But God always keeps his promises. So if God promises that he will be with us wherever we go, even when we travel through the darkest valley, how can Jesus be alone? Well, this is where we get to my favorite part of all of these stories. Out of all of the stories that we've looked at over the last six weeks, this is my favorite one, and we've already alluded to it, started talking about it a little bit this morning. And my favorite part of the story is the part of Simon the man from Cyrene. And I'll explain to you why. This is my favorite part. And it's my favorite part because Simon, this man from Cyrene, is the way that God keeps his promise. Keeps the promise that he has made to us all the way that he keeps it to Jesus. Now let's just kind of walk through this story. Simon's mentioned three times in all of Scripture, and I've already read them to you today. He is mentioned three times in all of Scripture, once in Matthew, once in Mark, once in Luke. Those are the only three times that he's mentioned. And from these three passages of Scripture, these three verses, we know exactly five things about Simon the man from Cyrene. You ready for him? His name is Simon. He's a man. He's from Cyrene. You probably could have figured that out. He's also the one who carries Jesus' cross. And he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Those are the five things that we know about him. That's all that we know from all of these stories about Simon the man from Cyrene. But here's the thing. These details, these little clues, give us just enough information that we can figure out a whole lot about Simon and the role that he plays inside of the story. Let's take the first thing that we know about him. His name is Simon. But inside of Scripture, names aren't just names. Names have meaning inside of Scripture. When somebody gets a name, there's a reason why they have it, and the name Simon means God has heard. The name Simon means God has heard. You think it's a coincidence that the guy who carries Jesus' cross is a guy whose name means God has heard? 
Remember the prayer that Jesus had just prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's any way that you could take this from me, take it, please. God has heard Jesus' cries. God has heard Jesus' suffering. God has heard as Jesus has called out to him, saying, God, I feel isolated. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. But here's the thing. It's one thing for God to hear Jesus calling out to him. It's another thing for God to act. And this is where we get into the place that Simon is from. Simon is from a place that is called Cyrene, and Cyrene is in modern-day Libya. And because most of us aren't geographical experts, Libya is about 1,000 miles away from modern-day Israel, about 1,000 miles away from where Jesus is at. You don't go 1,000 miles by accident, right? Even when you have a car or you can hop in a plane, you don't do this by accident. If you're going to go that far, you are going to do it intentionally. Simon isn't just wandering down the streets of Jerusalem that day. He's not out looking for a Starbucks to get his morning caffeine before he starts his day at work. Simon has a divine appointment that day that he doesn't even know about. Simon thinks that he's come to Israel that day to celebrate the Passover festival. But little does he know that he has a role in the greatest story ever told. Little does Simon know that day that he is there to show the Son of God that he is not alone in the darkest hour of his life. Little does Simon know that he is there to show to Jesus and to all of us that God always keeps his promises. Now here's something else that we know about Cyrene. Cyrene was well known for its rich and fertile lands. It is a rich and fertile place where livestock and produce thrive. Uh, they were well known throughout the ancient world for their abundant, for producing abundant grain and wool and livestock and olive oil and vegetables and herbs and dates and spices. They were known as an agricultural center. So what does all that mean to us? Well, if Simon is from Cyrene, which is a place that is well known for its agricultural industry, it tells us that Simon is most likely involved in the agricultural industry. So when God needs somebody to care for his son in his son's darkest hour in life, he sends him somebody who has spent his entire life caring either for the animals he was raising or the land that he was tending. Simon, whose name means God hears, is sent to Jesus from a thousand miles away to care for Jesus the same way that Simon has cared for livestock or his farmland his entire life. Do you see that this isn't a coincidence that Simon's the one who shows up in the story? Simon was tailor-made for this moment. Simon was the perfect person to show Jesus that he was not alone that day. Simon was the perfect person to show that, Jesus, that God had heard Jesus' cries and sent someone there to care for him. So what does that mean for all of us? Well, if God kept his promises then, God keeps his promises now. So if God was with Jesus when he took the hardest steps of his life, then God will be with you when you face the hardest moments of your life. If God was with Jesus when he took the hardest steps of his life, then God is with you when you face the hardest moments of your life, too. 
I want that to sink in for you. Take a moment, read it up on the screen, write it down in the sermon notes. Let that sink in for just a minute. If God was there for Jesus in his darkest moments, God is there for you in your hardest moments too. Now that brings me back to this little piece of wood that we gave you. Everybody, find your piece of wood, hold it in your hand. No, you haven't. Last week when we passed this out, I asked you to bring this back with you this Sunday. Some of you remembered, some of you forgot. That's why some of you got bonus pieces of wood when you came into church this morning. That's fine. I asked you to bring this back for you, and I told you that we were going to do something with it this morning. This morning, we are going to use this piece of wood as a reminder that you are not alone. This morning, we are going to use this as a reminder that God is with you in your darkest moments, that God is with you when you take the hardest steps in your life, that God is with you when you face the hardest moments of your life, and that we as God's people are with you so here's what I want you to do this morning, and I'll give you instructions about how we're going to do it in just a minute. I want you to take your little piece of wood, and I want you to trade it with somebody who is sitting close by you. I don't want you to trade it with your spouse or your children. I want you to trade it with somebody who does not live in the house with you, okay? And I don't want you to just trade this piece of wood. I want you to commit to praying for the person that you trade the piece of wood with so that everyone inside of the sanctuary knows that for the next week, somebody is praying for you every single day by name. So quite literally, you are going to be carrying somebody else's piece of the cross this week. You are going to be journeying through this holy week together with that person whose piece of wood you receive. And here's how we're going to do it. In a couple of minutes, we're going to stand together and we're going to uh, sing our closing hymn, but we're going to do it a little bit differently this morning than we typically do. We're going to give you time during the first verse and the chorus of this hymn to trade these pieces of wood. Leslie, the choir, are going to be singing that portion. I want you to listen as they sing. It's a beautiful song called I Am Not Alone, a great reminder for us that we're not alone. But take that time, exchange your piece of wood with somebody else sitting close by. If you don't know their name, don't assume that you're so famous that everybody knows who you are, okay? Introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Adam. Here's my piece of wood. Hi, your name is whatever it is. Here's that, that's how it'll work along the way. But take that moment and use this. Use this as the reminder that it should be, that we are never alone. God is with us everywhere we go. God's people are supporting us wherever we are. Before we get into this, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the chance that we've had to come into this place and be reminded that we are not alone, that you are always with us and that we are always supported by your people. So this morning, God, help us remember that although you have called us as, as your followers to take up our cross daily and follow you, that we don't have to carry these crosses completely alone. Allow us to share the load. Allow us to commit to praying for each other. Allow us to be reminded every day that we are not alone. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this sermon has reminded you that no matter where life may take you, no matter what is happening in your journey, if God did not abandon Jesus, then God will never abandon you. God is always with you no matter what. 
God's with you in the highs. He's with you in the lows. God's with you in the light. He's with you in the dark. God is with you in the happy moments, and God is with you in the sad moments. God is with you always. Well, in our next episode, we are going to be celebrating Easter together. And we're going to be reminded that Easter is more than just an event on the calendar. It's more than just a historically important date. Easter is important because it is personal for all of us. And Easter can change our lives forever. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you don't have to wait till next Tuesday when that episode drops to join us for worship. We would love to have you come and worship with us on Easter Sunday, this Sunday, April 17th at 10.30 a.m. You can worship with us online on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. And again, we worship at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We would love to have you come join us. Well, until next week, I hope that you guys have a great week this week. Enjoy your Holy Week. Spend time reflecting on Jesus's journey to the cross. And we'll see you back here next week for another sermon podcast.